when you bring in a song and it's just not good enough? Tommy goes, well, the good news is we have that and we can always go back to it. <laughs> and as soon as I hear, the good news is we have that, I go, okay, I got to rewrite this thing. <laughs> My name is Thomas Kale. My name is Lin-Manuel Miranda. Lin-Manuel Miranda and Thomas Kale are the composer and director, respectively, of the Tony Award-winning Broadway smash hits Hamilton and In the Heights. But those are just two of the projects they've collaborated on. Their work spans theater, television, and film, and they've won too many awards to list here. The story of Lynn and Tommy's long collaboration begins when they almost crossed paths while they were both in college. My senior year, I was directing uh, a little play that I had written, and we were doing the student production, and they gave us the gymnasium and $52 and four lights. And then every night, someone would say, okay, we have to take these lights over to this dorm. To the West Coast Cafe. To the West Coast Cafe, because there's some freshman who's doing a musical called Seven Minutes in Heaven. And I was like, who is this, and why are we taking down the lights? And they're like, it's this kid. He wrote a musical. His name's Lin-Manuel Miranda, and he's staged it in his dorm, in like their little cafe. And I was like, well, he sounds like a disaster, and he's stealing (laughs) our stuff. I first heard the legend of Tommy Kale when I was a sophomore at Wesleyan University. I was putting up the first production of In the Heights, and two fellow theater majors who were seniors said, we are graduating this year, and we're going to form a theater company with Tommy Kale and Anthony Veneziali, two Wesleyan alum who had already graduated, and we'll contact you when you're graduating. Then I met Tommy for the first time when they came to see my senior thesis. He came in, like, making a joke about tripping, and then he dropped an enormous soda on the floor of the Center for the Arts Theater. Uh, They watched my show, which was not very good, and Tommy shook my hand on the way out and said, enjoy this. And I went, thank you. Wait, was that a... Did you like the show? (laughs) But then I didn't really meet Tommy Kale for real until the week after I actually graduated. And we met in the basement of the Drama Bookshop. The Drama Bookshop first opened in New York in 1917. Tommy and his troupe became the resident theater company in 2001, when it was located on 40th Street, with a bookstore upstairs and a 60-seat theater downstairs. Yeah, and we were in that bookshop basement from 2001 to 2005, basically, every day, my little company. And then Lynn joined us a year after we moved in there. And... Well, there was a big transition in my thinking about him because I found him aggravating in theory. And then my friends sent me this CD that Lynn had made, production of In the Heights. And so I had been listening to the In the Heights CD basically on a loop for two years, and no one else in the world had. And when I then connected with him in the drama bookshop basement, you know, a month after he graduated, I had a lot of stuff to say. Yeah, if, if there were a time lapse of the room, everyone else just kind of peels away and we are still talking about In the Heights. It was one of those afternoons that became evening. He had all these ideas about the show and they were all really good ideas. Like, oh, Usnavi's a great character, but he doesn't appear till like the fourth or fifth song. Like, he should be your narrator. And it was just so confident and breathtaking in terms of like, here's what I think could happen. And I was just like, oh, this this guy's going to take over the world. But <laughs> this guy's going to help make a better show. Like, it will be a better show if I work with him. 
The other thing that kind of emerged over that was that our hip-hop flashpoints were the same. Like, he could quote Biggie and he could quote Pun with equal fluency. And that was also very important to me, that we were pulling from the same inspiration points in terms of how hip-hop was going to inform the piece. And so as we started talking, everything sort of, like, collapsed. And it was like, oh, the world was big and then the world got small. Mm -hmm. You were there, now you're here, and we're finally in the same place. Being around Lynn felt like meeting someone that had been around the corner and I didn't know existed and also was immediately on the same frequency. The first thing we, we really did out in the world together was in the Heights, and that's from the first readings in the basement of the drama bookshop with four actors and then eight actors and then venturing beyond the bookshop, just kind of developing Heights and figuring out how to get it from one act to two acts in that first year. And then we really kind of got cooking with gas when we found more collaborators with Chiara Alegria Hudis and with Alex Lacamoire. You know, that's when it started getting bigger than just really the two of us kicking ideas around. But the notion that the director is in on the ground floor and helping you shape the piece was really something we discovered in real time together. I learned with Tommy that Tommy's in on questioning every detail of the writing, and this makes sense, and this could be clearer, and that's really helpful. It's really helpful at every stage of the game to constantly be making your work better as you're making it, as opposed to, here it is, it's done, <laughs> stage it. One of the things about Lynn that I appreciated, and I, I hope in some way was kind of imprinted in that very first conversation we had, is I, my instinct was never to try to fix something that was broken. It was, hey, there's something beautiful that you made. Let's realize it. Let's actualize it. Right. And so much of my job, as you continue months and years into developing something, is to keep pointing to those initial impulses and to remind you and to remind us why you started writing it, how you started writing it, and what were those sparks that hopefully will evolve. And Tommy's someone who makes you want to write and is also very good about <laughs> my favorite line when you bring in a song and it's just not good enough. Tommy goes, well, the good news is we have that and we can always go back to it. <laughs> <laughs> and as soon as I hear, the good news is we have that, I go, okay, I got to rewrite this thing. <laughs> and there's a spirit of generosity in the way that he works and writes, which is he's brave enough and has enough faith to bring in something that is unformed or unfinished and say, this is where I am. That's a vulnerable thing to do. And so I felt a real sense of responsibility and accountability to try to bring myself in that same way. As we're working on In the Heights, in the basement of the bookshop, playing around at the piano, actors coming in and out, we would freestyle about our day so far, or I would freestyle about what we were doing in the room. And Anthony Beniziali, he was like, we should do this in front of people. And so our first production of Freestyle of Supreme, it's the doodle in the margins of In the Heights. And Tommy kind of came on and saw what we were doing and was like, this is great. You need a structure for this to actually be a satisfying evening and kind of helped us find that. It felt like it could have specificity to that night? Could we create something that felt like it was just for that audience? So when you walked outside, you said, you're not going to believe what I just saw. And then someone said, great, I want to see it with you. Like, well, you're never going to see that one again. You might see some version of, of that feeling, but that one was just for us. We basically worked pretty quickly, though, and gave it a shape. And then within a year of that, we were doing a run at Ars Nova, at Ars Nova you know, like, yeah. which was really the first time we probably got paid to make theater in the city. Yeah, that was our first real theater debut. 
Freestyle was what paid a fraction of our bills while we were working on for sure on heights. <laughs> and I think it was was very confidence building. One of the other powerful things that Tommy really did in the early days was said no to opportunities before we were ready for them. He just he had the confidence to say, we don't need them. We just need to keep working. And that is a, a key piece of tension of like, I wanted to get my show on. <laughs> and Tommy was like, I want to get our show on when we're ready. There was going to be a matter of years, and whether it was three or five or seven, I didn't think about. But I knew it was going to take time because musicals took time. I just didn't want it to get wherever it was going to go too early. That was really the guiding principle for me more than anything. Yeah. No one's ever like, oh, they waited too long and developed that well. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I, I don't know that you miss your moment if you really take the time, but we had so many experiences with our own collaborators who did a lot of stuff in college and then mounted it immediately, yeah. and then it was gone. Like, it never happened. And it's hard to get that second one. But because Tommy kept betting on us, by the time we opened Off-Broadway, we were ready. And I was a better writer because of Tommy's input and collaboration. You also have to understand, by the time we got, quote-unquote, like real producers, the conventional wisdom is I'm the composer and you get a more experienced director to mount this first-timer's show. So, you know, I'm in the position of auditioning the material, but I can't be fired because it's mine. Tommy has to prove himself at every reading and at every at-bat. They gave him the chance to succeed, and he succeeded every time. There's just not a lot of young theater directors who have people around them vouching for them or authors saying, no, no, this is my person. And I had a composer who said, this is my person. Yeah, and we were all able to kind of cross the finish line, this creative team all making our Broadway debut together. The one thing that I appreciate about Lynn the one thing <laughs> um, is that because it feels like we have been somehow connected to that initial conversation for all our conversations, there's no ins and outs and beginnings and ends in any tangible way. There was a period of time where we would talk to each other on the phone on the way home every single time after freestyle for years we would kind of deconstruct it every night. Yeah, that's another real driving force for the two of us. That also is something that unifies us. And I think that that ethos was something that was applied to Hamilton in, in a way where it had heights underneath it, it had freestyle underneath it. And so we stepped into that in this sort of the adult version of ourselves, the show that we really worked on for all of our 30s, was Hamilton. I read the Chernow book on my first vacation from In the Heights, Lynn's talking about the biography Alexander Hamilton by Ron Chernow. That's the book he adapted into the hip-hop musical Hamilton. And so I talked to Tommy about it, and I thought, it's such a weird idea that let me write the proof of concept that is a concept album. The same way Jesus Christ Superstar is a weird idea, a rock musical about the last days of Jesus' life. And the way Andrew Lloyd Webber worked on that was he did the concept album first and then it was staged as a theater piece later off the success of that and that was my dream for it, it was like let me write killer hip-hop songs that tell this story but then a, a funny thing happened was <laughs> I wrote that first song I was invited to perform at the White House it took me a year to write the next song and I performed it at a freestyle evening and afterwards as everybody was buzzing and going upstairs to have a little bit of wine and cheese and saying nice things to Lynn, I thought, here's my opportunity. <laughs> he was like, oh, this cheese is really great. People seem to like the song. And I was like, ha, 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 ha. You're really writing slowly. <laughs> um, and I just said, we're going to be very old by the time you finish this if you don't pick up the pace. So let's find somewhere six months from now and work on a, a couple songs a month and see what we can do and see if there's anything there. 
And he never said, I'm directing the piece. It was just, he was picking up where we left off in our partnership of setting a deadline and let's see what happens if we set one. And so the next day, Lynn called me and I could hear on the phone that he was lit up. He's like, I I think we have a place. It's six months from now. What if we do this, this, and this? And I I felt something ignite. And so that became the work over the next couple of years. Within the Heights, we were creating an original story. We were discovering the characters and the story at the same time. But with Hamilton, we had this very clear narrative. We had the spine of a life to draw from, at least in terms of the events. Our take on those events and our take on those characters, that was sort of the challenge. But we had a shorthand. I remember one moment in particular that sort of speaks to how our our friendship and our working relationship had evolved. <laughs> do, you know, do you know the story about Stell? I think so, which is after that reading. Yeah, yeah. 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 So we did that reading where there was a version of Act One, and it was songs from Hamilton and scenes in the middle, and Tommy and I didn't talk for two days, which is crazy. Like, we talk 10 times a day, and I think the first thing we said to each other, and we almost said it at the same time, was why does this more fully realized version of Act One with scenes feel less like the thing we're chasing than just 11 random songs in order. We kind of realized regular speech doesn't make sense in the context of this. And that was a really scary realization to make. And I remember this other time, there was an actor that was singing and performing a song that Lynn had written. And and so we couldn't talk because this person was singing. But I had a thought during the song, and I looked at Lynn, and he nodded. And I was like, what? And he was like, I know. And I was like, no, you don't. And and he said, I do. And I was like, well, then write it down and show it to me. And he, like, wrote the thing down. And then the person finished singing. And he, like, unfolded the paper. And I was like, yeah, that's actually exactly what I meant. (laughs) Um, And it was just like, it used to take us a lot of language to get to a thing. And now it was just, like, a a, a glance. (laughs) Um, And that's something that's only forged out of the previous 10 years of just constant conversation. Tommy and I have 50 other things we're working on, and and the Heights movie was something that had its moment for us to work on, and we weren't going to work on it in that way anymore, and I wasn't going to be in it in that role anymore, and so it was evolving into a new thing. You know, and I'm not working on it with them in the same way, but none of that has an impact on my feeling or desire for what I want the outcome to be. And also, we'd been working together on Fosse Verdon. Right. Which is a really interesting hybrid of the way we'd work together because I did not write on Fosse Verdon. I got a book my friend wrote and handed it to Tommy, and Tommy lit up with the screen possibilities of it. And then I was there to support him as he made it, being at the pitches, finding the right home for it, and just being a sounding board. But you were really in the thick of it. Our work with other collaborators has only broadened ours, and so that's always felt like... One of the exciting things is that he can go off and have an adventure and then come back and bring that into the room. And no one buys a ticket faster to something that I'm making that Lynn's not in than Lynn. And the same thing with his stuff. My 10-year advantage on everyone else was that I met Tommy Kale when I was 22 years old. That shorthand and that trust and that ability to share whatever we were working on and put it on the table together puts you ahead of the game. Back then, I didn't know what the future looked like, but right now, I still feel all of that past. I mean, it still travels with us in such a meaningful way. That's really how you make something that's bigger than yourself, by trusting more people than yourself and and trusting the right folks uh, and folks who are going to elevate it. And Tommy is that person for me. Having that two decades in now, it moves me. And I feel like all of the things that we've done 
are in some way deeply connected to those first conversations. We just started talking and never stopped. Lin-Manuel Miranda and Tommy Kale are partners. You can watch filmed versions of all the projects they talked about on streaming channels. In the Heights is on HBO Max, Hamilton is on Disney+, Freestyle Love Supreme and Fosse Vernon are on Hulu, and Lin's film directing debut, Tick Tick Boom, is on Netflix. Tommy isn't on social media, but you can find Lin on Twitter, at Lin underscore Manuel. By the way, the drama bookshop where they had that first conversation, they now co-own it. Partners is made by me, Rishi K. Shirway. I produced and edited this episode, and I made the music. Maureen Hoban is my co-producer, and Chloe Parker and Casey Deal are the production assistants. Partners is a MailChimp podcast, made in partnership with Radiotopia. Find out more at MailChimp.com presents and at Radiotopia.fm. Thanks for listening. <laughs>